0: The readings from John 14, starting at chapter 15 on page 1081 in the Bibles in front of you. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my command and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'll be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave.
1: Thank you, Chris. Morning, everyone. It's great to be here. I'll tell you one piece of trivia. It's the first Sunday of winter. We've only got 12 left. Anyone who knows me knows I do not like the cold, and uh, it's not too bad today, to be honest. It can get a lot worse, and it probably will. But anyway, uh, I'm going to pray that God's word will warm our hearts. Let's pray, Father. We thank you. We can be here. Thank you for all your love, and I do thank you for this wonderful, profound section of Scripture from John that we're looking at. And may you speak to our hearts so that we might have hearts that want to obey, but also we would know your living presence with us by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I've just left my clicker. Where is it? It's just there. There we go, sorry. I want to start by just speaking about the power of presence. And what I mean by that is just the reality and the power of being together with other people, being present and experiencing the presence of others with you. Um, There's no doubt that one of the difficult things in life is the sense of being alone and vulnerable and there's also no doubt alongside that, that there's a great power of being present with others and when we're together, we are better together. We looked at that last year and it's amazing how when you're with others, you're able to be brave You're able to stand up for things. Uh, There's a resilience that comes when you've got a sense of safety in numbers. Yet when you're alone, you can feel vulnerable, weak, and if I can say, just not as strong. There's a fortitude about being together. And there's an absolute power of people being present in the lives of others. Now, I've seen that in two ways. One has been with, uh, particularly my wife as a nurse, uh, the way that she has looked after the kids when they've been sick and I've been at work. And you see this reality of the need to experience the presence of others when you're not well. There's just something profound about how having someone there with you helps you, even if they're not doing much. Uh, They might not have medicine, they might not have great words to speak, but they're just there with you. I know with our children, they would just want uh, their mum just to sit on the bed with them. And they just feel better. Well, they're still sick, but you know what I mean? And you see this particularly with pastoral care. And if I can just say this to people who feel they're not necessarily the most gifted in what you might say in difficult circumstances when people are going through them, one of the most important things is that we are just with them. And sometimes you don't have the right words to say and you actually don't need to say much, but the fact that you are there with them is really speaking profoundly to them. And people will often just say, and I hear this on numerous occasions, the fact that you visited me, it's not what you said, it's that you were there with them. Just helped me so much. And if I can just encourage you in terms of pastoral care, which is so important that we are known by our love and that we do love each other and we look out for those on the edge. Literally just being with people makes a profound difference. There's an enormous power in being present. Now why begin this way? Well... We're working through John chapter 13 to 16 and on numerous occasions through these chapters and they are a distinct unit, they're the Lord Jesus' instructions to the disciples on the night before he's about to go and die and it's really his parting words to them knowing that he's going to leave them and he keeps saying this, I will leave you and I'll give you just one example from the past week, Uh, John chapter 13 verse 33. My children, I will be with you a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And time after time, in different language, he says the same thing, I'm going. I'm leaving you. And what he wants to do is prepare the disciples for that reality of them being alone, And in the passage that was read to us today three times, the issue is raised again. And what Jesus has done so far is two very profound things. Uh, This section, chapter 13 to 16, has begun with the words, having loved his own, he wanted to love them to the end. And he wants them to know how loved they are, even though he's about to go from them. And there is something profound when you know someone loves you. And he washes their feet as this incredible demonstration of his service to them and his love for them. Which in many ways is symbolic of what will happen the next day with his death for them that will wash them spiritually clean. And then last week we saw that he wanted them not just to know that they'll love but that there was an assurance that he was preparing a place for them in heaven... For when they might die. Today, he wants to instruct them, and he's got two particular words to say to them. That as he leaves them, obedience must be a defining mark for them to guide them, but secondly, he's not going to leave them alone, the Holy Spirit will be with them. And it's very important for the Lord Jesus to, if I can say, emphasize this to them. He wants them really to know, even though he's going, they won't be alone. He'll be still with them by the Holy Spirit. And we will talk about that. But firstly, obedience is to guide them. Now, the current age we live in, I've said on a number of occasions, is one marked by what I would call expressive individualism. And expressive individualism is, if I can say, the spirit of the age where what is most important is that you are able to express yourself, the right of the individual. It's the belief that, you know, you and your rights are what are most paramount. The belief that you submit yourself to another by obeying them is seen as old-fashioned and, to be honest, obsolete. Now, if you don't believe me, just go and ask someone this question. And I did this just the other day and I said to them, look, I've just got something to ask of you. I could say this to Emily, Emily, I've just got one thing I need you to do, can you just obey me? (laughs) The person I asked looked at me and just laughed. (laughs) I won't say who that was, but anyway, um, they just laughed. Like, what are you talking about? Now, I raise that because, you see, it is not the language that we use today. And it's definitely not a concept that's front and center in our culture today of obedience. Because what's front and center is do what you want. You are the master of your destiny. You express yourself how you want to. The thought that there's someone over you that you must obey is very far away in our culture. And against this backdrop... We need to hear these very challenging words from the Lord Jesus. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, let's get them open. We're at page 1081. I'm just going to put up on the screen something that is said by Jesus three times. It's said at the beginning and it's said in the middle twice. And there's actually one word that's repeated three times by Jesus here. It's expressed in two different ways in the NIV translation. Uh, The opening words, well if you love me, keep my commands, that's verse 15. Then you look at verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, well actually that's the one who loves me. And then in verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now it's the same word each time, to keep, to obey, that's what Jesus is saying here. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, actually they belong to my Father who sent me, the Father who sent me. And you see, it's a very simple proposition. If you love Jesus, what he's saying is actually you're going to obey me you'll do what I say and the obedience is to his commands, to his teaching, to his instruction. And if you want to know whether you love him, well, look at how you obey him. Now, it's worth saying this, um, to obey him is not how we earn eternal life and get right with God, but rather it's a response to having been saved. You see, who are the ones who obey? It's the ones who love him, it's the ones who trust him. It's the ones whose hearts are filled with a gratitude and a joy for all that Christ has done for them. Well, if you love me, if you trust me, obey me, is what he's saying. You see, obedience is a result of knowing Him and experiencing salvation. So if you're here this morning saying, I love Jesus, well the way you're going to show that is you're going to obey Him. Now the question I think we need to ask is this, why does He challenge the disciples this way? What we saw last week was when He finished speaking about the fact that He was the way, the truth and the life, He said, actually, you're going to go and do things greater than I've done. And what we reflected on was, it's not that in a sense we can do greater miracles than Jesus, that's not possible. It's that he was bound in time and space with a human body and his ministry was contained within Israel. But when he went and when he goes, he'd be resurrected. And his spirit would be poured out such that the disciples could go to all the world. And what was contained in Israel could now be uncontained. And they would take the message everywhere. And this is the context of John 13 to 16. We're going to see more of that next week as he talks about bearing fruit and bearing witness. But we are a group of people commissioned to go to the world with the gospel as the disciples were. And Jesus knew that there would be an enormous cost for Christians to do that. When you read through the book of Acts It describes the early church mission in amazing ways. But what you see is that the apostles, as they went out, they suffered loss. As they went out, they experienced suffering. As they went out, they were exposed to ridicule. As they went out, there was ongoing opposition. And let me say the same is true for us today. If you actually want to live resolutely for Christ and shine His light and bring His love and declare His truth and gospel in the world, there will be opposition There'll be ridicule if you stand up for him. There can be loss. We can expect all the same. And Jesus is saying here to them, as you go, what you've got to most do is hold on to my word and obey it and keep it. And you see, this is a beautiful book to read. There's amazing comfort in here. And we are to read it, we are to learn it, we're to marvel at it, but ultimately all of those things are so that we might do it and obey it and carry out what Jesus teaches us. And I don't know about you, but I find some of it very comforting, some of it very challenging. I often think of the phrase, Jesus said, actually, it's easy to love those who are nice, actually, what I want you to do is love your enemies that's not easy. In the work context, to love your enemies who are bullying, who are opposing, who whatever. It's not easy in an age of expressive individualism to be financially generous to others, to the church, to ministry, to mission, when the world says spend it on yourself. It's not easy to be sexually pure. It's not easy to be content in the situation that you would uh, be placed in by God, particularly when the world says you need more. It's not easy when there are commands that are hard for our lifestyle because they challenge how we live. It's not easy when the spirit of the age says express yourself any which way you want, but yet the scriptures say this is how you live if you want to find life. And there'll be commands in scripture that can appear incredibly countercultural. And you'll catch yourself thinking, this can't be right, this seems old-fashioned. Surely he doesn't want me to do that. And Jesus says, actually, trust me. Obey me. Now, to both challenge and encourage us on this, what I wanted to do was something a bit different today. I want to take you to another culture where Christians are currently living. It's a very different culture to being a Christian in Sydney. It's a culture where there is much opposition. It's in Iran. And we have a couple of Iranian believers, one who's grown up in the faith, one who's come to the faith from Islamic background. And in today's 21st century Iran, the church is increasingly under intensifying persecution from both society and the state. As Christianity and anyone involved in spreading it is seen as a threat to the Republic of Islamic uh, Iran's identity. And the situation for 21st century Iranian Christians is that they're under constant threat of persecution from both society and government, including discrimination, beatings, arrests, imprisonments, torture and even killings today. And Christians are treated as second-class citizens in Iran and forced to worship in secret. When their faith is discovered, they first face persecution from both society in general and the state in particular. And with this as the accepted viewpoint, there's often brutal oppression that can await specific offenders, including any Christian who converts from Islam. Iran has made speaking the country's official language of Farsi during church worship services illegal. And anyone leading or participating in a house church faces arrest and punishment. And I want to give you just the story of one man. He is a house church leader. Uh, For those who are Iranian here today, and we have a couple, forgive my pronunciation, Machaba uh, Hosseini, uh, is a house church leader. He knew that one day his work would result in prison. He used to be one of the leaders of a quickly growing house church movement. But after receiving a probational sentence in 2009, Machaba was imprisoned for three years in 2012. He was released in 2015. Open Doors Ministry, which supports and prays for persecuted Christians around the world, asked him, Why didn't you stop the work for the church after you were first arrested? He said, I don't really know. There was no logical explanation. But we just felt the Lord wanted us to continue. <laughs> And I was talking to my wife about this and she heard a lovely testimony of one Christian person. You know, we love the people here, but we love Jesus more. And they just won't stop. And in obedience to the command to bring the love and the light and the truth of the gospel to bear in Iran, they just keep going. And he said, we knew this would mean we could get arrested at any moment. And they keep going. And you see, it's very simple. He loves Jesus and so he obeys him, whatever the cost. He follows his commands because that's what it means to be a disciple in the world and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. But secondly, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will enable us. And this passage is both challenging and comforting by what it says. There's a challenge to obey but there's a promise of God's presence with us and in John's Gospel Jesus speaks on a number of occasions before this that the Holy Spirit is going to come and at this point there's kind of a concentration of teaching about the ministry of the Holy Spirit this is the first time and if you've got your Bibles there have a look in verse 15 having just said if you love me keep my commands he says in verse 16 And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him, but because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. And verse 25, sorry, I just missed my spot there. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And what we learn here is that, to go back to the beginning, we are not alone. He doesn't just send them out and say, obey me. He says, actually, even though I am going, I'm actually still with you. And what we grapple with here is the mystery of the Trinity, no doubt. Um, Verse 23 makes it so simple but yet it's so profound. Speaking of himself and the Father, he says, we will come and make our home with them. In other words, the Father and the Son by the Spirit come and make their home with us. And so we know the reality of the Father and the Son because the Spirit comes to us. Now I'm not going to Speak more about the Trinity, only to say I spoke last year on it. And if you'd like to listen to the message, it's in our podcasts in August. But what he's saying here is he's promising us his presence. And he describes him in two ways here he is the advocate, and it's a particular term, it's a legal term uh, from that day and age. And it's interesting, if you read through different translations of the Bible, they've all got a different way of translating it. I want to give you a very simple way of understanding what he's meaning by this description, the advocate or the paraclete is another version. Um, He's been given to strengthen and help us so that we know God with us. And this is the profound experience of being a Christian. That we actually know God with us. And He dwells in us. And it's wonderful, friends. And Let me say, this is what it means to be a Christian. We are not alone. And He's speaking it to them, if I can say, both individually and corporately. It's why when you gather and you pray and you sing and you read the Bible and you reflect on it, there is a real sense of God with us. I know one of the comments that sometimes comes from people who walk into St. Matt's is they can just sense something different. And it's because we have the Spirit of God with us to strengthen us, to comfort us, to help us, both individually and together corporately. And so we are never alone. Though you may be witnessing for Christ or seeking to love your enemies, and you are physically all alone, actually the Spirit will be with you to give you strength and courage and comfort. But secondly, here's the Spirit of truth, verse 25 and 26. And when Jesus says that, it's worth just noting the phrase that he uses here. He says, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And what we need to understand is he's saying a specific specific word in time to a historical context, which is the disciples themselves. And he's saying the Spirit is going to come and teach you all things, meaning the disciples at this point, the apostles, and remind you of everything. And that's exactly what took place. And they wrote with that authority. And what we have today in terms of the New Testament scriptures are a product of this verse and this promise of Jesus, that the words that the apostles wrote down and have been distributed all through the world are words that are accurate. The Spirit of God helped them remember all things. He taught them all things. And so while this is a human word, it's a divine word, a Spirit-inspired word. And the Spirit speaks to us through this. And I love a phrase, uh, a Pentecostal minister once said, he said, you know, I hear people say all sorts of things about God speaking to them. And he said, you know, my experience of life has been that the voice of God sounds strangely like Scripture. In other words, it's a book that God will speak to you out of as you read it and believe it and take its promises seriously and its instructions to heart. And God speaks to us out of it. And if you put that together, what Jesus is saying is you won't be alone. The Spirit's going to give you strength and comfort and He's also going to guide you. And this is the wonderful promise of being a Christian today. And just to illustrate the reality of this, let me return back to our believing brothers and sisters in Iran. I don't know if you know this, but in 1979, when the Ayatollah Khomeini kicked out the Shah, he introduced a, a very harsh, fundamentalist, hardline Islamic regime. And for the next two decades, ushered in a wave of persecution that continues today against particularly Christians... The church was inspired and ignited by the Holy Spirit as they sought to obey Jesus. He strengthened them. He guided them. And you see, though all missionaries were kicked out of Iran, though evangelism was outlawed in Iran, though Bibles in the Persian or Farsi language were banned in Iran, though several pastors were killed in Iran, though many feared the small fledgling Iranian church wouldn't survive, do you know what happened? Instead, the church, fueled by their love of Jesus, has multiplied exponentially. Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East today. It's amazing. And they love Jesus, and so they obey him, and they keep speaking for him. And he strengthens and guides them by his wonderful Holy Spirit. And that's a picture there of Iranian Christians being baptised. And as a result, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 or 30 years than in the preceding 13 centuries. One of the church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that's exactly what's happened there. And you see, with great cost, and I was talking to one of our Iranian believers who's here this morning, Takui, and there is a great cost. They have had the Spirit of God strengthen them to go into their world and bring the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's about to leave them. He knows it will be tough, and he's going to talk about that in the next chapter. But he says, you must follow my word. Obey it. But you're not going to be alone. I will be with you. And I want to finish with the beautiful words that Jesus finishes with. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. In other words, in the midst of the turmoil, actually what you will know is a peace that comes from God. I do not give you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And, friends, if you are afraid today, if your heart is not at peace, I just implore you to pray to God that He would fill you with His Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, so that you would know His peace and strength this day. He finishes by saying, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is great and nigh. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. In other words, Satan is about to try and do his work and I love what he says, he's got no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may know, the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And it's profound what he says here. You see, at the heart of the Godhead, the Father and the Son, is this relationship of love that the Spirit is involved in. And Jesus says, because of my love, I'm going to go and die for the sins of the world. Satan thinks he will win, but actually, no, he has no hold. And friends, we are loved deeply. And we are called to make this message known. And the Spirit of God will give us strength and power and wisdom to be able to do it. Let us pray. We're now going to celebrate communion, so I'm going to pray a prayer as we lead in. Father, we just thank you for this incredible truth. We're called to follow Jesus and obey him and bring his love, his light, his grace, and his truth to this world. It's a world that opposes him that does not know him and yet give us strength by your Holy Spirit to not be afraid, to be filled with the peace of Christ so that we might be your vehicles of love, truth and grace wherever we go and may we always know we are never alone, that your Spirit dwells in us and we pray this in his name. Amen.